Holyan again stepping in field so Berardi can stay wide. Berardi shooting chance for him! He is a wonderful football player. This is Orsolini. Still with Orsolini. And that is wonderful from Bologna's number seven. Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 94 and we're your hosts Jake and Matt here to give you a rundown of match day 6 which took place midweek and match day 7 which we'll be covering in greater detail. Yep, unfortunately with the Serie A calendar being quite swamped, um, so are we, <laughs> naturally. Uh, we managed to give you guys a, a full episode for match day 5, but match day 6 and 7, we couldn't think of a better way uh, than killing them both essentially uh, in one episode. So I hope yeah. it's not too much of a um, an inconvenience for all of you. But that means that we had two goals of the week. Um, for match day five, it was Berardi who scored the winner against Inter um, in a fantastic match where Sassuolo um, ended the game 2-1. It was a brilliant solo display there by Berardi who literally carried Sassuolo on that win and that goal literally uh, was a cherry on top of the cake for his performance. Retegui's goal in the in Genoa's 4-1 triumph against Roma. It was absolutely um, brilliant. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very close. It was up there. Um, if it wasn't for the stage, um, it might have taken it. You just have um, Albert Goodmanson taking on three players, whipping the ball in. It's flicked down and then Retegui just smacks it on the half volley. That's a brilliant well one. Done. I want to talk a lot about Albert Goodmanson oh in this episode. God, yes. He's the cover art, guys. That's, that's him. That's the guy. He got the cover art ahead of Orsolini, who scored and a hat-trick, and over Berardi, and over Lautaro, Lautaro Martinez, yeah. who scored four. Um, but we mentioned Orsolini, so that is our match day six goal of the week. Orsolini scored a hat-trick of goals against Empoli. Um, however, his first one um, was the nicest one, the way he flicked the ball over the last defender and then volleyed it before it could hit the ground into the bottom corner. Stunning. When Orsolini is on, he looks ridiculous. Uh, Colombo... It was an honourable mention over there for a great solo strike. I really wasn't expecting it by Colombo. Um, and Goodmanson, once again, um, um, an honourable mention over there. Fantastic goal in the 2-2 draw away to Udinese. Yeah, um, just as Colombo scored a solo goal from the left, Orsellini scored a solo goal from the right. So, um, yeah. pretty pretty identical, to be honest, as goals. Orsellini had uh, more flair to it and more technique, so that one takes the cake, of course. Yeah. Um, guys, remember to like, follow, rate us five stars. We've got Instagram, we've got TikTok, we've got YouTube. Those of you who listen to us on YouTube will notice that last week something went devastatingly wrong and our episode was uploaded at three seconds in length. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully you, you found us on other platforms and we apologize for that um, not quite sure what happened with our um, podcast provider over there um, if you would like to support our content um, that's $3.99 a month on Patreon to become part of the family and to help us to improve our equipment improve our sound and maybe even who knows do this full time one day yeah hopefully but yeah let's let's take you through a quick rundown of match day six now i know give, matt give me a second before you do that um because one of the perks naturally with you guys being in our patreon is that um you can participate in our fanta culture league um now if you want any updates on how that is going for match days in then check out our instagram uh we post all of the results and the league tables over there along with some banter that is shared um, on our chat we've got some fantastic memers in this chat particularly luca fucking kills me man yeah, he's such a funny guy um right now i'm in fourth i'm coming off a 6-1 victory because i have orsolini in my team and i was against the renegades 
Um, before that, I lost to Mintoff, which is classic. How are you doing, bro? I am currently sixth. Um, not doing as well as I would like to, but it's still early on in the season. And I feel like we could do some good things this year. We're on six points. First place is nine points. That's not too bad. Yeah, I'm on seven and first place is nine. So, yeah, not worried over here. Not worried By the way, yet. bro, you interrupt one more time, you die. Okay? It's as simple <laughs> as that. Now, match day six, I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Okay, um, Juve beat Lecce 1-0. Milik got the nod over Vlaovic. And repaid Allegri's trust with his second half winner. Lecce have been humbled and Kaba was sent off at the end. And since then, Lecce were actually humbled twice. Yeah. Um, Cagliari 1, Milan 3. Luvumbo opened the scoring in Sardinia, but Milan's firepower proved to be too much for Ranieri's side. Inter lost 2-1 to Sassuolo at home. There are three certainties in this life. Death, taxes and Berardi scoring against Inter. Mm-hmm. Sassuolo were clearly unfazed by the seemingly invincible Inter side as they handed them their first L of the season. Napoli triumphed 4-0 over a poor-looking Udinese side. They have two new problems to deal with since we last spoke to you guys. The first being that they might be losing star Victor Ozyman after the whole TikTok fiasco. Um, we'll be talking that, about that in greater detail later on. Um, the second problem they face is that they need to find a new TikTok admin, of course, because, <laughs> <laughs> because he's definitely got sacked. Yeah, um, as I say, one of them is definitely easier to replace than, than, than the, the other. other, right? Yeah. Lazio beat Torino 2-0. Vecino and Zaccani's goals were more than enough for a well-earned victory against the tough Torino side. Genoa destroyed Roma 4-1 at home. Gilardino's boys blew Roma out of the water with the magical Albert Goodmanson leading the way. Um, it was just an incredible performance by like Goodmanson. Genoa looks, were much better than yeah, Roma. In every aspect. Like, yeah. and, and Goodmanson looks like a top player in his position. Completely like... Like... like he'll, breakout player for sure. He's going to be expensive, man. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be very expensive. Yeah. Frosinone held Fiorentina 1-1 at home. Um, Fiorentina were very wasteful and they suffered a late equaliser at the hands of Matthias Sule on loan from Juventus as Frosinone continued to prove that no occasion is actually too big for them. Mm. Atalanta beat Verona 1-0 away from home. Coop Miner's goal in the 13th minute was enough for Atalanta um, to get a street smart away victory against a, once again, tricky Verona side. Um, Empoli got their first victory of the season against all odds. Of course, Zanetti was sacked and they brought and Andrea Zoli to replace him they played Salernitana at home and one their kid Tommaso Baldanzi scored the only goal in Empoli's first win of the season hopefully the first of many um, <laughs> even though I, I highly doubt that but we'll see <laughs> Monza nil Bologna nil was the last one two sides were actually bigger and better than most people would think uh, this was a stalemate which saw Salamakers getting a double yellow upon entry so that's just know. worth watching for, yeah. for that Literally, thank you, Salamakers, for making that game a little bit more interesting at the end with the with the red card. No, that that was it's such a shame that we didn't get to record a full episode for this because I mean, all across the board, I mean, Juve won Lechenil with a middle goal. That's fine. Milan winning three uh, one away against Cagliari. That's okay. Although I wish you saw Luvumbo's goal. Yeah. Um, Jake predicted that Luvumbo was gonna be the first scorer, pretty much um, yeah. in that match. But Inter Sassuolo. Um, and Genoa, Roma, and even Frosinone, Fiorentina, to me, those three matches, and then Polisarenetana, naturally, <laughs> my God. Just, it was just these, these four week. games are, are, are the ones that stand out. Yeah. Naturally, Empoli getting their first goal and their first win, they did a great job over there to yeah. hold off Salernitana. Through my experience, when you have midweek games, 
um, you look at the scores, you'll have six games happening at the exact same time. Yeah. And when you look at the score, it's one nil, nil, nil. Yeah, exactly. Very low this scoring. This was absolutely crazy midweek, dude. Crazy, yeah, man. crazy, crazy. Let's just go through so that we we do give these at least these four fixtures some importance over here. Mm-hmm. Inter Sassuolo. Um it's good to mention that Inter are on obviously hot form, right? They were undefeated, they only conceded one goal, and that was in the Derby della Madonnina, which they won five one. Mm-hmm. They go up at home in the San Siro against Sassuolo and they get the lead. They get it quite early on as well. And Sassuolo come back and get a 2-1 victory mm-hmm. over there. Berardi, right after we praised him on the podcast um, and right after, obviously, we received one of uh, our, our best fan texts um, before about Berardi on, on the podcast. He goes and does that. Fan- fantastic stuff. What a player. Sassuolo looked completely different with him and the Sassuolo analogy rings on now that I made back in 2020, when was it? I think it was 2021, yeah. 2021. It got picked up quite a bit. Yeah, I basically tweeted out randomly. I was was stoned on my sofa watching Sassuolo (laughs) and I tweeted out that um, Sassuolo are the Robin Hood of Serie A. And um, like, they steal points from the rich and give them to the poor, right? Next thing I know, this tweet's blowing up. Like, IFTV love it. They keep posting it and reposting it. Shout out to IFTV. Love you guys. Um, yeah, um, they are this, the <laughs> the Robin Hood. Now, we've we've discussed this in great detail. Why is it that Sassuolo beat the big teams and then seem to lose to the small ones? We, we do have a, a couple of a analogies that we've yeah, mentioned fact, before. Yeah, I mean, you have Sassuolo who don't have a massive fan base, so... They don't have that thing where they step onto the pitch and they're playing for their fans because they're so moved by the T4 and the chanting mm. and the songs. And, you know, like think about it. A player like Berardi should have had 10 songs about him by now. Isn't it fucked up? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Put Berardi, well, ideally Berardi would be in a team with a fan base that has every kid in the city wearing his shirt because that's that, mm. that is the staple. That is the level of a staple that Berardi is to this Sassuolo team. I mean, I think like Sassuolo, who only got promoted to Serie A, what, bro, eight years ago, seven years ago, Mm. something like that under Di Francesco. And this Juve reject, right? Berardi comes in. And he, he has put this team on the map. He has put this team, he has made them Contenders for Europe. It's been ten years of Sassuolo for sure, by the way, because Berardi had scored his. He made his debut in 2013 for them. I see. Okay. Okay. So it's been around ten years. Let's say ten years. But what this guy's been able to do, he should be a hero for all these kids. Thankfully, we're starting to see the stadium going up literally by the tens. It's not like it's an incredible difference, but they're steering the ship into the right direction. Hopefully, it's coming at the right time where. Berardi could really be a role model for these kids and, and Berardi could really make Sassuolo the team to support for all these people that live in Modena and that live around Bologna as well. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it is nice to see their fan base growing slowly but steadily. We also had Genoa Roma, of course, which was absolutely crazy. Um, Madonna. Goes from Thorsby, Goodmanson, Retegui and Junior Messias coming on who celebrated that goal. 
more passionately than his goal in the group stages of the Champions League with Milan, which happened to be Milan's first Champions League goal since the last time they were in it, which I believe was seven years prior to that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what's going on in Messi. Yes, I think he was more starstruck in the Champions League goal. And here he was just like, I'm not finished. I've still got yeah. it. I haven't peaked. Perhaps I still have more to offer to this league. Yeah, man, and 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 I think a team like Genoa that are so exciting is like the right space to put him in because him and Salamakers competing for that right hand side against Milan had become such a boring and tedious conversation and such boring and tedious fucking performances as well every now and then and clearly the weak side to Milan. Now you put him into a project of an up and coming team with so many exciting players and suddenly he's in the light of excitement again, which he hasn't been in yeah. for a while. So good on you, Honor. He's an under underrated signing by Genoa because you can Absolutely. play him anywhere. You can play him on the wing, you can play him as a mezzala, you can play him as a support striker. You can he's very versatile. I'm pretty sure you can put in a shift as a as a wing back as well. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Um but I do think we should get going with match day seven. Um this week in Seiya, match day seven. Okay. Victor Ozyman, brother, is the talk of the town, right? He deleted all his Scudetto celebration pictures on Instagram and threatened to sue the club after Napoli's official Instagram and TikTok accounts posted a video mocking his penalty miss and another video calling him a coconut. He appeared standoffish with teammates, but allegedly peace has been restored, if you were to believe things that appear on social media. Um, Ozyman has put up a post saying that he loves Naples and that the people of Napoli give him the fuel and the adrenaline he needs to perform at the highest level. Oh, but they must weird him out, man. They have to weird him out with this whole Pizzell Ozyman thing, everyone. You've got kids eating fucking ice creams shaped and colored like Ozyman's dick, guys. Like, I... I'm surprised he's still there. Love Naples, love the city, love the football team, love the people. Um, but I'm quite sure they weird him out. I've got a, a bit of a a skit of, of how this conversation might have gone down. Um, it's, it's not funny. It just puts it into perspective, basically. Let's hear it. Ossiman walks into um, De Laurentiis' office. Like, hey, boss. Hey, Victor. How are you, my man? Not bad, boss, not bad. I just, I wanted to pull you aside about something. Oh, what's what's wrong, Victor? Tell me. Like, well, I don't want to make a big deal about it. Ah, oh, come on, Victor, just tell me. Okay, no, pro no problem, boss. Look, I've been here for three years now, right? Um, last season was my best year here. We can both agree. Yes. Um, I was the Capo Cannoniere for Napoli, and we won the first league in 30 years. It's like, yes, and, and Ozyman, Victor, right? I think you were pivotal to all that. Yes, yes, I and I think so as well. The the team was great as well, but I do think that I played a massive part. Um, but then I can't help but feel. I go on social media, my team's social media, and I can't help but feel that these guys are mocking me. Like, first there's this video about me being a coconut like I'm a coconut I'm a coconut like sure whatever like I'm I'm a coconut I don't get it but sure like fuck it but then I miss a penalty I make a mistake and they're mocking me playing music over me I, I don't think that's right the coconut thing fuck it like I'm a coconut but but, but this I can't I, I, I can't accept it 
That's how I feel the conversation yeah, would, would mean, have gone down. It just puts it into perspective of what a weird encounter this is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally bizarre because <laughs> when... <laughs> that was... By the way, thank you. No, thank you. Thank, thank you for listening. listeners enjoyed that. Um, and I'm sure they know that and said, yeah, we did. Um, yeah, but it's it's definitely a weird way to fall out of favor with your best player. It's definitely the strangest situation I've seen. When you look at the the TikTok admin, the poor guy is probably a Napoli fan who landed his dream job and is is the admin of Napoli's official TikTok account, you know, and everyone in the comments is like, does the admin reply? He's like, hell yeah, I do, brother. Best best admin in the world. He's like, I love my job. And then, you know, he goes home. He's like, Ozzyman missed a penalty. Maybe there's a trend right now where you put high-pitched voices and uh, these funny memes with football moments. You speed them up to make them funnier. And he decided to make it about his own player, right? And that's, I'm sorry, but that's a poor judgment call. And of course, with the way that things have developed, he's gonna lose his job, right? You have to feel, you have to, you have to feel for him. But but that's the only situation, right? Thankfully, the Osman situation seems to have calmed down. But I, I am, I'm sure that next year he won't be there. Look, I think there's definitely, um, like to cut the social media admin some slack. It's not the worst thing in the world that he has done. You've seen other teams poking fun at their own players, maybe not mocking them for a penalty miss. I do think there was a line that was crossed. And I just think that there are certain cultural differences over here, guys. There's a there's an admin who is constantly um, watching these memes and formulating content um, and probably European, Italian, you know what I mean? Osman comes from Nigeria. Now, if you've ever spoken to your typical Nigerian person, you'll find that these people um, are massive on respect. Huge on respect. You respect them, they respect you. The second they feel disrespected, then they feel disrespected and they're going to react as though they are disrespected. And I think that's the way Osman is reacting. Sure, we could look at him and say, calm down is just a meme, bro. But it's 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 it's, it's not think, just yes, a meme yes, for him, I is it? I think culturally, um, in Nigeria, for example, the employee-employer dynamic might be different. And the, the whole concept of respect and this whole 2023 meme culture, I'm not sure, is quite understood yeah. over there or appreciated, quite frankly. Um, yes, it it was it was rather risky, um, <laughs> and yeah, the the admin definitely paid the price. But anyway, yeah. I, I hope I hope no one lost their job. By the way, yeah, yeah, same. But someone definitely did. Um, Lautaro Martinez made the headlines as he scored four goals in 30 minutes um, in a battering, an absolute battering of Salernitana um, since his entry because to be honest Salernitana were holding holding their own before Lothar entered uh, he was the first player um, in Serie A in the modern era to score four goals after coming off the bench or Salini also had an impressive feat as he put pressure on Spalletti for a national team call up with a brilliant hat-trick against Napoli, and I do mean a brilliant hat-trick yeah. Albert Goodmanson almost had a hat-trick himself as he scored two and had one ward off against Udinese um, after his midweek masterclass against Roma he's really developing into a player Papu Gomez is back in the league oh by my Gomel Papu you have no idea how happy that makes me bro yes sir um, he has signed for Monza and he has already danced the Papu dance with Galliani. so yes. that's fantastic content over there to enjoy and I don't know about you but these videos always come up when I'm at work uh-huh and you like save them for later exactly kind of thing exactly yeah, yeah. 
miserable life. What can we do? Um, Salernitana's incredible fans dedicated their tifo to Pink Floyd, unveiling the famous wall from the album The Wall, which eventually transitioned into the popular lyrics Shine On You Crazy Diamond. From performing Miracle Survivals to signing top players to having a brilliant fan, pa- fan base who put out these incredible tifos, um, Salernitana really are um, Serie A's crazy diamond and I sure do hope that they'll keep on shining. I, I certainly hope so. It looks like they're struggling a little bit at the moment. Um, they, they've definitely got the players and the manager to turn it around. It's just not really ticking for them right now, is it? Yeah. Um, I thought of a cool idea today, which is um, it's a bit too late to do, considering that Dia will will this is probably his last season at Salernitana, considering how he did Half try season, to. Probably. Yeah, literally, I think he'll be off in January, kind of thing. Um, but it, it would have been so cool if we did a series of. And, and expensive, by the way, going to watch Salernitana in their own stadium until Dia scores and we get to sing and we'd go to every home match of Salernitana until he scores and we get to do it just once. Please, for the love of God, let me be there once for a Dia goal. be too late. Hey, that that's what I'm thinking. Because though. the fans might not sing it to him anymore. I mean, he's already shown that he's willing to force his way out, and even when things do collapse, he makes himself unavailable for the games. Like he's he's totally demonstrated that he would rather be elsewhere, and I'm sure the fans have picked up on that. And I highly doubt they'll be singing his praises anytime soon. Oh well, man, when your man scores an important goal, and and you're you're overcome by emotion and joy. You do some things, bro. So maybe. <laughs> yes, I once broke a dishwasher. Yes, and and like I don't blame you because it was a Graziano Pelle bicycle kick oh. on his first game back in the league. And I believe it. on and, my Fanta. And friend. you had picked him up on Fanta yes, culture sir. as well. Yes, yes, Mental. Yes, okay, twenty minutes in, we finally get to talk about the match day. Yeah, we have to do the rundown. Yeah, ma- ma- match day seven. So let me give you guys a quick rundown over here. So probably the biggest game of the week uh, was Milan Lazio, and Milan managed a very very clean two 0 victory over Lazio over here with goals by new signings Pulisic and Okafor. Good to mention that also Loftus-Cheek is off the mark for Milan. Um, thanks to his midweek goal against Cagliari, he's also picked up a knock and will be missing two games, um, but will be back for the Juventus game. Atalanta nil, Juve nil was enough to make me very close to opening football manager uh, halfway through this game. It was a bit of a... Um, KG affair where both teams didn't quite get used to each other and that did lead to the nil-nil stalemate. Few clear-cut chances but one phenomenal save by Wojciech Szczesny denying Muriel's free kick. Salernitana nil Inter 4. Naturally, as Jake mentioned earlier, it was uh, Lautaro Martinez who stole the headlines. Lecce nil Napoli 4. Another 4-0 away victory over here where Gaetano scored his first goal for Napoli and in great fashion, to be honest, I do think that was quite a a contender, skipped past a man and from outside the box, left the keeper rooted to the spot with a great, great strike. This was quite a good game. Um, Roma 2, Frosinone, nil a brace for Romelu Lukaku, had a super performance alongside Dybala up front. Fiorentina 3, Cagliari nil. I think Nico Gonzalez is one of the best players in the league so far this season. He's been phenomenal for them. And Fiorentina, 
are still looking very good. Just the one loss against Inter this season, man. Sassuolo nil, Monza won. A very, very even affair. Surprise, Monza managed to get away with a 1-0 away victory over here. But classic Sassuolo, Robin Hood. Torino nil, Verona nil. A bit more of an exciting nil, nil affair over here. Bologna 3, Empoli nil. Orsolini hat-trick. Uh, enough to get me a 17.5 from him on Fanta and a 6-1 victory over Lewis. Fuck you, Lewis. Udinese <laughs> <laughs> to Genoa to Genoa will be disappointed that they gave away a lead, especially when uh, they conceded an own goal in around the 93rd minute from their substitute. So very, very unlucky for them over there. But a brilliant showing of Genoa spirit and their goal scoring prowess. They can't stop fucking scoring. They just put four past Roma. And here they are in Udine a couple of days later, scoring two away from home, which, okay, it's two goals away to Udine. But this was a Serie B side last year with a new manager this year. It's, it's not like these games are fucking easy for them, you know? Yes, as you correctly mentioned, Udinese are a seasoned Serie A side. Genoa are a side who have just come up from Serie B, who um, should be struggling way more than they are, to be honest with you. They have, of course, Serie B's MVP of last season, Goodmanson, over there. We've spoken about him. You're probably already sick of hearing his name, but you better get used to it. <laughs> um, yeah, they have a good team. They have so a solid foundation with players with Serie A experience and a manager in Gilardino who is hailed to be a fantastic, adaptable man-managing coach. Like mm. he's, he's fantastic, apparently. he's a, And apparently he... It's very clear and very easy to observe the way that he makes minor tweaks to his system on a weekly basis. So, like, for example, let's say he plays a 4-3-3 one week and then he plays it the next week. You will clearly see a slight tweak in where it mm. went wrong the previous season of it through a man change, through a change in movement on the pitch when you watch the, the way the formation comes together. Um, yeah, he's 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 said to be with the next big thing in, in Italian management. Yeah, in fact, it's not the same formula you see every game with them. Never. Um, they're, yeah. they're liquid, man. They, they, they literally take different shapes and forms in... Every match, according to their um, opponents. Now, you look at Frozenone start, you look at Genoa start, Frozenone look insane. Don't get me wrong, they look fan-fucking-tastic. Um, very fluid, very quick, very fast. But it, it, it is always like the same formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Genoa can adapt more in that sense that they could play a wider array of teams and drop less points, whilst Frosinone will just probably get you more shock victories. Mm-hmm. But over a, con- a consistent 38-match season, um, Genoa look prepared to, look, to this, stay up this, this season. This is the way I view definitely. the difference, because Frosinone and Genoa both look good, but here's the difference in my opinion, right? Um, you have Genoa, who are a well-drilled team, who have players who are capable of making the difference through individual brilliance. So yeah. if your tactical setup is not perfect or is not quite effective, these players can still make the difference. Like Albert Goodmanson wiping out three players and playing a through ball or just shooting it into the top corner, mm-hmm. taking matters into his own feet. <laughs> um, Frosinone, on the other hand, are purely well-drilled. Yep. That's it. When you look at the individuals, there are a bunch of players towards the end of their careers who have, say, experience, mid-twenties players. I'm a fucking boner, man. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going, like, they're, they're drilling. They're, 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 they're ready to man. go. They're all hard yeah. as fuck, like. That they are. 
Um, with Frosinone, the thing is, apart from the uh, erections, erections and phallic situations, they um, that's the thing. They they have a, a bunch of players who are almost I don't want to say rejects, but they're they're not prolific. They don't have any names of players who are prolific. They have players on loan from big teams exactly. because they're not ready to start at these big teams. They have players who are who are playing at the likes of Sassuolo who couldn't quite cut it at Sassuolo and have moved for a more prominent role. A, a Cremonese bench player who barely featured in Serie A last season and Baez who's getting minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, Because Frosinone are a step in people's career, whilst Genoa are still very a, a historically very successful team sure. and people are proud and honoured to wear the badge. And Genoa have the finances. Genoa are owned by 777 Partners, an American something, an American business or a corporation mm-hmm. or fucking whatever, I don't know the term. American. But they're rich, right? And they're investing and Genoa have clearly been on an upward trajectory from when they took over with Blessing in Serie A when they were already relegated, essentially. We, yeah. we could already see the signs. They got... They got relegated in the end, uh, which was inevitable because of the terrible start they had with their previous owners and the uncertainty and starting the season without a sponsor and getting absolutely destroyed by Inter. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, now they're they're witnessing the fruits of their labor. Yes, yes. Let's jump into the first yes. match how, how of match day now? seven. Yeah. No, like 28 minutes. That's We're great. fine. That's We're great. fine. That's good. That's good. We managed to kill match day six in 30 minutes and my, like the intro to match day seven. So fuck it. But we start with, with you, Breno. Milan 2, Lazio 0. Milan extend their unbeaten home Serie A head-to-head record to an impressive 12 games. Temporarily reclaimed the top spot as well in the Serie A table. It was only temporarily because, of course, Inter absolutely demolished Salernitana and leapfrogged Milan over there. There have been no draws in the last 10 encounters between Milan and Lazio. Seven wins for Milan. Uh, the last one was 2-0-2 and this was in May 2023. Now let's get into the lineups. For Milan, it was a 4-3-3 formation. Pretty orthodox this season. Mike Magnan in goal, Calabria on the right, Hernandez on the left with Kier and Tomori in the middle. Loftus Cheek and Reinders flanked Yassine Adli in yep. the middle, who since our last podcast episode has had two starts. In his first start, he contributed to Levumbo's goal. In, inadvertently of course mm-hmm. but in this game he had a much better game and overall looked pretty solid and exciting Pulisic was out on the right Lea was out on the left and Giroud was up front for Sarri's men it was also a 4-3-3 formation with Providel in goal Hisai on the left Marasic on the right Chassal and Romagnoli at the back with Luis Alberto Rovella and Guendouzi in the middle Zaccani was out on the left Anderson was out on the right and Castellanos got the nod over Immobile. Yes, with uh, Immobile being fit. Yes, this was um, this was expected almost because, sorry, I'm burping. Lotito um, approached Sarri apparently, or, or could be seen signaling to Sarri that he wanted Castellanos to come on. Apparently, Lotito has been basically putting pressure on Sarri to play Castellanos ahead of Immobile. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Crazy, crazy. Uh, okay. Let the man do his job. He knows who's who's fit for the role. No, doesn't matter what your opinion is. If you're the director, if you hire a manager, he's gonna manage. But yeah, anyway. yeah. Play by play. Both teams had their chances in the opening minutes with Felipe Anderson testing Manian with Manian with a near post strike. The game was an even contest until Rafael Leao began to make his presence felt with his usual dynamic runs. His efforts forced Providel into near post saves like. The, yeah. the usual chaos with Leao. 
As the first half progressed, Milan had a golden opportunity to break the deadlock when Olivier Giroud's initial shot led to Tiani Reinders' follow-up, which unfortunately for him clipped the post. It was a pretty yeah. good opportunity, wasn't it, brother? Yeah, but but he was he was wrong-footed, wasn't he, he was, man? He was, he was I, I can't help but look at that and say that has to be a guaranteed goal. Yes, yes. But but his stance was a little bit off. He wasn't expecting that, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The second half started without any clear-cut chances until the 60th minute when Milan made the breakthrough. Rafael Leao was once again instrumental driving to the byline and pulling back to an unmarked Pulisic who calmly slotted in his third Serie A goal. Captain America has truly arrived. Yunus, or Yunus, Musa, substituting for the injured Ruben Loftus-Cheek, came close to adding a second for Milan as Lazio struggled to find their footing. Neither team had scored a goal after the 75th minute in Serie A this season, which didn't bode well for Lazio at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the key players for Milan was Florenzi this game, who in the 85th minute, when the scoreline was still 1-0, made a crucial block on Lazio's Gustav Isaacson after a solo run. A brilliant block over there by the budget De Marco. In the dying minutes of the game, Milan secured the victory as Leao raced down the left wing as usual and set up substitute Noah Okafor, who confidently scored his second goal of the week. Although Pedro managed a spectacular reply for Lazio, it was ruled offside. Yes, sir. Um, Giro Mobile keeping him onside. Um, make what you will of that. <laughs> With this win, Milan continued their three-game winning streak while Lazio remained stranded in mid-table after a challenging start to this Serie A campaign. Bro, safe to say Milan dominated this game for me, best performance of the season so far. What do you make of it? Yes, so it was always interesting to see how Milan were going to adapt after the loss against Inter, um, which was followed by a weird nil-nil draw midweek to Newcastle, even though Milan dominated that game. But here we're starting to see Milan really getting their confidence back and being that offensive team that they want to be. Um, We have now seen Milan get past Lazio with the score of 2-0. We've seen them get past Roma with the score of 2-1. What happened against Inter happened against Inter, but at least Milan are really showing that they are a force to be reckoned with. And at the moment, Lazio aren't there. Um, At the moment, a club like Lazio, with with the start they've had, the the difference in momentum between Milan and Lazio is far too steep um, to put these teams up against each other so early on. And I think it was a clean victory for Milan. Dominated is a strong word. I think it was a very, very, very clean victory. It was a clean victory, totally. I mean, Lazio, I can't remember them really threatening apart from Pedro's um, disallowed goal. Of course, I think Milan kept them quite quiet. Yes. And Luis Alberto looked frustrated from the get-go. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Milan have Lazio quite figured out, man. And and just as Inter have Milan completely figured out and Inzaghi knows Pioli inside out, apparently, maybe it's the same thing with Pioli and Sarri. Maybe Pioli has totally figured out Sarri right now. I mean, you could say that, but Milan also lost 4-0 against Lazio last season, so... And that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a crisis. <laughs> like, but but it's, it's one of those cases. Mi- Milan can beat anyone, but they can get murked. Murked. There are like five teams that can murk Milan. Yes, yes, yes. When, when it starts to go badly, it can go very badly. That's, that's one of Milan's... Um, Kryptonite. Yeah. Um, okay, bro. So let's look at Rafael Leao, a fantastic player. We all know he's a fantastic player, probably the best player in the league, arguably. I mean, it's not as close this season as it was last season. Um, but 
he's proven himself in Serie A. He's mm-hmm. won it. He's won MVP, whatever. Do you think he still needs to prove himself on an international stage, on a European stage? For example, let's look at the Newcastle game, for example. Yes, because the, the culture of football that we live in at the moment puts competitions like the Champions League naturally on a pedestal. Um, that's number one. Number two is Serie A is not on a pedestal at all. Um, and the Premier League is. Um, and, and to an extent, La Liga more than Serie A because you do it for Real and you do it for Barca and then it's like you made it you know what yeah, I mean yeah. um, yes to, to answer your question he is not going to be relevant to the world of football until he goes on a crazy showing in, in an entire Champions uh, League campaign but then, but then I would argue with you granted it was in an all-Italian semi-final but he did it against in an all-Italian quarter-final rather sorry but he did um, do it on an international stage against Napoli yes but he did it once right once. that's it yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is he Rafael should be considered as one of the greatest players, players in, in the world, world right? at, at, at the moment my I'm not talking about our opinion it's yeah. about the a, a lot of normies that consider themselves football fans but don't watch or or at least don't research a lot of leagues and just focus on one, which is fine. You can focus on the league that you love, but then don't tell me whether or not Leao is a good player if you're only watching yes. League A or, or whatever. The thing is, I, that's that was my question mostly worded terribly with, with preparation. Nice maybe. one. Um, What's stopping people from mentioning Leao in their top fucking five players, top ten players? It's in the that the, the the fact that he hasn't made himself like cemented a starting spot in for the Portuguese team um, hasn't really made the difference in Champions League consistently yet. That's probably it, right? Yeah, it it, it has to be. Yeah. It it has to be. And there's also uh, all this is a case of relevancy. Yeah. And at the moment, relevancy comes with a money. And you know who has money? The Premier League, you know, who doesn't have the so at the moment naturally the, the reach and the marketing that certain leagues have is far far more superior than the one that's available at, at Serie A bro you see John Stone scratches balls and it's a TikTok like there are TikTok compilations of John Stones looking left to right and scratching his nuts like you know what I mean? And, and then you can't find anything about certain Serie A players or Serie A teams or Serie A managers. And then they head over to the Prem like the Zerbi. They have a couple of good games and suddenly they're kind of even overhyped. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's this crazy, crazy thing that they do. They the get someone, they either hate him or yeah. they love him. It's wicked, man. That's it. Because extremes are what get clicks. Exactly. going to get clicks exactly. by being level-headed. But anyway, anyway, whatever. Let's get back to the game. Um, Adli Regista, thoughts? Um, good. Good. Yes. Solid. But is it good as in... Good as in he's getting it. As in good, it's possible. Or is it good as in, all right, we're it's not the playing solution. Dortmund tomorrow. Adli Regista, is that the way it is? Like? So, no significant worries um, over there. Still a big loss to still be losing out on someone like Ben Asser. Um, or Kronich who's so used to it and is used to that stage Adli is still green but you could see very significant glimpses of insanity he, he does certain things that, that that is beautiful his ball control his close ball control is insane 
the way he attracts pressure and then releases the ball and creates space for his teammates by hanging on to the ball for an extra second, which also results in exhausting his opponents, is very, very good. He's very calm. He's clearly very liked by the team and he raises the morale of the team. Mm. Um, not polished. No, not refined. And that's exactly the, the main point. I do like the audacious balls that he tries to play and I haven't seen those balls um of course, excuse the hyperbole since Pirlo, of course, because, of it course, Chadli is nothing compared to, to Pirlo, but watching a, a six at Milan play balls over the top, over the wings like that so consistently was reminding me mm. of, fuck you if you disagree. The, the, um, the, the, no, the weird to say but but the the pitch looked bigger with Adli yeah yeah you can stretch it more now of course he is rusty of course he is definitely not polished and I don't think he's exactly ready for certain matchups um he did impress against Lazio and he did play very well to me it was almost a a perfect game um Mm -hmm. I like how we spoke because naturally, um, Milan fans who all love Adli, Milan typically love Adli because he's such a character kind mm-hmm. of thing. Nice um, and, and they would naturally get very carried away about his performance. But he spoke after the game and he was like, this is just the beginning. I'm, I'm not celebrating anything. Like I still have so much work to do. I'm not happy. Everyone else can be happy, but I'm not happy. Yeah, totally. Bro, um, before we move on to Lazio, um, Calabria or Florenzi? No, Calabria. Calabria. I agree. I, agree. Calabria. I, heard, I heard otherwise on certain platforms and I wanted to know your opinion. Uh, what a great vice to have, but Calabria. Yes, I think Florenzi's been very solid. And he, to be honest, this is the best I've seen him in a Milan shirt. I'm not a big fan of the player. Mm. I don't think he's quite as refined as he should be for someone who's in his 30s. Mm-mm-mm. You know, I, I don't get think that. he has, I, I inserts himself and he inserts himself well enough into games. But but yeah, I mean, he had long-term injuries. He's a former Roma player. He has a lot to kind of try to uh-huh. repeat. And he's unique eh, with his long-range <laughs> yeah. shooting and, and, and all that. As yeah, well. I'm telling you, budget, DeMarco. DeMarco from which? 100%. Yeah, um, nice to see, of course, Milan's new signings doing well. Pulisic scoring his third of the season. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek played a very, uh, was playing well until he was forced off through injury. He will be back after the break. Okafor scoring his second goal of the week. Funnily enough... We always contrast the Okafor with Giroud um, due to the fact that Okafor can stretch defences and you can try to play him in behind while Giroud is more of a fox-in-the-box type of player. And both Okafor's two goals were, were fox-in-the-box poacher goals. Yeah, like, that's true. That's, like that's true. so funny to me, you know, like so, so ironic. But anyway, nice to see that he can actually do that because that was my main concern. Can Okafor be useful in these tight situations he, in the is box? Is he good in the box yeah, as a striker? He's, he's good in the box, man. He's a very good coach. He's smart. But yes, lots of struggles, brother. Yeah. Let's go, man. What's the problem? Is it the mobile? Is it the system? What's the problem with Lazio, man? Oh man, what's they have Celtic in the Champions League yet? They, you know, it's 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 a tough one for them. What's going on? I mean, I I don't I don't know what's what's going on. I I look at their lineup and naturally there seems to be some kind of. So obviously, yes, again, oh my God, yes, they, they lost SMS and, 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 and Giro's out. That, that, bro, that is literally the issue. You get a team, the, the team that Lazio were last season with 11 men that have been playing together for ages. And then you lose out on your key midfielder, naturally, Sergei, by moving to uh, Saudi. 
And Immobile has aged another year, and it does seem like that this year was way more significant. Um, so you take those out of the equation, naturally the team gets weaker, and what that does is it makes the manager react. So the manager brings in Rovella, the manager brings in Guendouzi, the manager brings in Tati Castellanos, the manager brings in Kamada, and suddenly you've got a team that is weakened and they're trying to compensate with bringing in new players that aren't used to it yet, which is fine. It's what you have to do. But you need to suffer for a season or so. Now, are Napoli going to be a mid-table team all season? No, absolutely not. But let them get their footing together. They're, they can't go up against Milan at San Siro and get a point or get the, even more so get three points over there. It's just the stage that with Lazio are in right now. And that stage is growth they had they came second last season which is one of their greatest achievements in the past 10 years barring the Coppa um, and if they don't match their greatest achievement then it's suddenly a failure yeah. but if you look at the entire story and where Lazio are right now fuck it they have to they have to get their shit together this season and they'll be better next season it's as simple as that look I view Sarri's time at Lazio as very temporary like if you look at this Lazio team over here and you look at the players who have grown accustomed to Sarri ball right his mm. philosophy let's take mm. a look so we have Hisai hasn't been there for too long but let's count them Romagnoli Trasale Marasic and Provedel okay they're all used to it mm-hmm. now how many of those players are actually average or above average let's say how many of these players are actually above average Provedel three exactly so the key Romagnoli Trasale Romagnoli and Trasale the, the, full the backs, wing backs are the full backs are average put anyone instead of them <laughs> exactly like it's Okay, they're, they're, they're sound defensively. Hisai and Marasic, they can put in a shift. They'll work tirelessly. They're kind of like the mold of that, um, the, the raw do's of back in the day. And there yeah. was another one, I can't quite, his name escapes me right now. There was, at the same time of Rod, he was ill. He had blonde hair. No, 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 he had an, he was an itch. That dark-skinned gentleman with blonde hair. For a while, he had gone to Fiorentina, dog. He was a right back and a left back. Dalbert, what are you talking about? God, no, God. I'm talking about an itch. Lulich, 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 okay. Lulich. Um, yes, they're that type of mold, the type of average defender who is good against a small team when you have the lead, like, and you need to maintain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, facts. so let's move on to the midfield. Rovella and Guendouzi new. Yeah, Luis right, Alberto, yeah. great player, fantastic player, has been with Sarri for a few years now. However, a bit difficult to manage and maybe when things aren't going perfectly his way he doesn't comply perfectly maybe he does his own thing ever so slightly or so maybe he's not just, a perfect example he doesn't share the same philosophy as Sarri or he doesn't believe yeah. in Sarri's philosophy he's more of a libero he's not going to play these dynamic fucking yeah he's pass, one of those players that, that like he would appreciate not being told what to do and let his creativity shine on the pitch exactly. but with exactly. a manager like that all respect to the manager and the player, the manager tries to get them to play a system, while the player is like, but I perform best when I'm given freedom. Yes, yes. And then you have Zakani, who knows it, Anderson, who knows it, and then Castellanos, who's new. Yeah. Or Immobile, who knows it, but is a year older. Yeah. Now, the problem over here is that, okay, so Sarri is implementing his system into a team which is losing its best players. Mm-hmm. And the players that he's actually fielding don't know his system very well now I don't know how much of a say Sarri has when it comes into the recruitment of the team mm-hmm. but knowing Italian teams and the way they operate and, and Lotito's personality I'm sure he just gives him whatever he fucking wants to give him yeah. 
Probably. But anyway, um, I thought Milan deserved this victory and I thought it was quite convincing and they looked great, quite frankly. Yeah, just an update on, on Loftus-Cheek's injury. I know I mentioned it in the beginning, but it seems fitting to say it now that we've covered the game. Um, he's going to be missing the Dortmund game. He's going to be missing the weekend game. And I can't seem to remember, bro, who Milan are playing um, next weekend. It's Genoa. It's Genoa away, which is frightening for, <laughs> frightening. for Milan. It's very and frightening. Frank but Lampard. he'll be missing those two games and he'll be back in time for the Juve game, which is massive for Milan. Totally. At what point in the season do you think we should start reading out positions in the league table? Should we start it now? Um, I would say in three match days time, match day 10. Yeah. We're at match day 7, I say we could hold off. Or should we do it from the next? Let's do it from now, let's do it from now. Fuck it, why not? I mean, sure, bro, fuck it. Milan currently sit in second with 18 points, while Lazio currently sit in 16th with 7 points. (laughs) 16th is wild, huh? Tough start, tough start. Tough yeah. Start. And the next game we're going to be covering is Atalanta nil, Juve nil at the stadium of La Dea. Atalanta were coming off a 1 0 away victory against Hellas Verona, whilst Juventus were coming off a 1 0 victory at home over Lecce. Now, under Gasperini management, which is basically from 2016, Atalanta have only lost four of their 14 matches against Juventus in Serie A, where they won two and drew eight. So, predominantly, this fixture does end up in a draw. This was a head-to-head for third place, as Charzeke Telare recovered from a muscular issue to start the game, with Skamaka and El Bilal Madonna, El Bilal Toure <laughs> still out of action. You make that mistake as well, always. El Bilal Traor. Yeah, I always it say El Bilal Traor. Because it, it has more of a ring to it, but yeah. El, El Bilal Toure is the name. Apologies to him. Um, Dusan Vlaovic, Milik, Alexandra and Mattia De Cilio did not make the trip, with Paul Pogba naturally still suspended for failing a doping test. Um, but Moise Keane actually returned to partner Federico Chiesa up front. For the lineups, it was a 3-4-2-1 for Atalanta with Juan Musso on goal and the backline of Scalvini, Jim City and Toloi. Ruggeri was out on the left while Zappa Costa was out on the right with Dagon and Ederson in the midfield. Uh, Cope Minish um, as the left winger, technically left attacking midfielder. Lukman as the right attacking midfielder and Charles de Catelare playing up front. For Juve, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Wojciech Szczesny in goal, coming off a nightmare game against Sassuolo. Uh, Gatti, Bremer and Danilo at the back with McKennie on the right, Cambiaso on the left. Uh, Fagioli, Locatelli and Rabio formed the midfield three with Chiesa and Moise Keane up front. Now, in the 14th minute, Coop Miners' cross fell perfectly for Zappa Costa to volley in, but his mishit shot was blocked by Danilo, and his follow-up, which really should have went in, skimmed wide three years ago. I think it would have absolutely nailed the first shot, mm-hmm. not only the second one. Juve had a good chance through Chiesa in the 50th minute, but Musso denied his powerful yet central strike very well. In the 69th minute, Ederson attempted a bicycle kick, Sure. <laughs> in the 73rd minute, Muriel's free kick was close to unstoppable, but somehow Wojciech Szczesny managed to tip the accurate and powerful strike onto the crossbar. Best save of the season so far, in my opinion. It was mm-hmm. an absolutely yes. astounding save. The ball bounced off the ground. So he tipped the ball onto the crossbar, which then bounced on the ground behind Szczesny on another day. It really could have deflected off the back of the keeper according to how he was falling back. Good to see that maybe he had... 
the 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 spirits and the stars aligning for him in this moment because yeah. they really weren't aligning for him earlier this week. Um, great save by him. Shout out to Shesney. That was the best moment that of the match. The rainbow, no, after the rainfall. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Uh, he celebrated that like a like yeah, a goal like a as goal. well. It was good to see. <laughs> to do the even his, yeah, even even his teammates around him celebrating it. It was good yeah. to see goalkeepers. Yes, why not? I'm all for that. I even love when like um, I believe this match day as well. Um, the Udinese full no the Fiorentina fullback cleared the ball of the oh line. yeah that, it was it was Kayode. yes you're right it was Kayode he celebrated like he, he not like he scored the goal not to that extent but it is nice to see players um, so passionate about their trade like a good tackle a last ditch tackle or a clearance of the line or a wonderful save deserves a celebration a, a game is Why made not? of, of, of players carrying out their duty to the best of their abilities exactly. and when they do something that could affect the outcome of the game um, in an impressive fashion then they should definitely celebrate it uh, it was good to see Chesney naturally again making pulling yeah. off that save and his teammates as well gathering around him that was really sweet um, other than the 87th minute Chesney was back to his earlier form <laughs> um, after he spilled Muriel's long range strike thankfully for him Coop Miners very uncharacteristically um, mishit the follow-up and, and it went over the bar he could have really scored the rebound over there again stars aligning for Chesney <laughs> over there it could have been bad he had a bit of a chuckle after that as well like shit <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought this was a good game um, it happened again it happened again <laughs> Um, in the 91st, Bucker did well because we did get to see Bucker in this yeah. match. He did well to cross the ball to Coop, but once again, the Dutchman overcooked his shot. Safe to say, in the final third, Coop Miners was a bit wasteful. Yes, in this yes, game. Um, uncharacteristically, sure. Yeah. Um, but he was, he did find himself in certain positions. Um, in in a in a home match against Juve, sure, but but he did find himself in some positions that maybe surprised him. I think. Oh yeah, I I, I think so. Typically, though, you would see Cope Miners score those, um, yes. but I think he's more interested in scoring the odd worldy. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. the odd hat trick. <laughs> no, I, I think that Cope Miners, of course, is one of the best midfielders in the league. Um, I know I said that about Goodmanson earlier on. You're like, does this guy think everyone's the best midfielder in the league? They're, no. they're two of the they're best. They're two of the best. Two yes, of the best two, attacking midfielders in the league. They're two top tier players in their position in the league this season. Um, and Cope Miners, even the season very, prior. Is very, very possibly top two. Yeah, very possibly top two. But anyway, um, what I noticed from this game was that, first of all, it was a cagey affair. Both sides primarily didn't want to lose. Yeah, yeah. And I think Juve took that to another extreme. To be honest, when you look at their their statistics, um, stylistically, it's 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 difficult to defend <laughs> Allegri um, in this game. To be honest, like two key passes, and no. you know who who delivered these key passes. I don't and I prepped for this game. So so let's <laughs> let's guess. The first one's an easy guess. Who made the key pass? Yeah, the first key pass. Who made the first key pass of the game? Who was it? Uh, is it stupid to say Chiesa? No, it was actually Chiesa. Yes, nice, perfect. Okay. You're good. Um, but then the second player who gave a key pass, I'll give you three guesses on the Uva team. Okay, I'm going to start off by saying Chesney. Yes, you Oh my yeah. God, yes, I'm so good. I'm, bro, I've been doing trivia at Freshers all week yeah. and, and I know the tricks. Hit me with a good one now. Quickly. Um, okay, okay, here's one, G. Mm. Who won the first ever Eurovision Song Contest? Was mm. it A, Italy, B, France, C, Switzerland or D, Sweden? Okay, bro. This is Serie A spotlight. I'm going to vote Italy. Well, it's Sweden. Oh, Switzerland. Switzerland. It's Switzerland, ah, yes. 
quite close anyway. Yep. Congratulations <laughs> to the Swiss fans. But yes, that, that's the the, the, the we are all over. Okay. Yeah, we, we tried. We tried. But yeah, um, Juve left a lot to be desired. Of course, nice to see that defensively they were more sound and there weren't as many howlers. I mean, typically Chesney is very good at controlling his line. Um, Gatti, Bremer and Danilo are more than competent defenders to keep a clean sheet against many teams, to be honest. Um, so nice to see that they're they're keeping everything tight at the back. However, um, one should not write Juventus off at the moment. Um, Allegri has said that top four is their objective, but Allegri always diminishes the actual um, objective. If the objective is top four, he will say that the objective is Europa League, right? Exactly. European football is our, comp- is our priority right now. Um, they currently have won four games, drawn twice and lost once. So bad, man. Which teams have won the league with, with more. It's still so early. It's so early. Like. Well, no, I think anyone that's already yeah. counting He's any f- of the top seven, well, okay, maybe there are two that you can count out, the <laughs> Roman ones. Um, but anyone writing anyone off so early on in the season, it, it, it's just a little bit bold already, especially yeah. a, a club like Juventus who have literally won it the most times in Serie A. And, and, and in this day and age where you have a fixture list that's so crammed that Lazio's head coach Sarri is threatening to quit because he hey. he doesn't like the game anymore because of the he can't he doesn't have time to instill his tactics is what he's what he's mm. saying. Um, Juve play once a week. Yeah. And yeah, that no. is a massive advantage for them. Massive when you look at one. Napoli, Milan and Inter, who will probably be competing alongside them, they all have European competition and they have <laughs> tough European competitions as well because they're in the fucking Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you look at Juve starting 11 as well. Um, and and, and that, that's enough as well. Yeah, um, enough for once a week. For yeah, time. I think the, the way this game went is essentially, like, like you said very well, um, Juve left a lot to be... Desired. They played a very defensive game. They primarily focused on a defensive approach um, and then shoot on the counter-attack through mm. utilizing Chiesa, um, who carried the ball forward a lot in this game. Um, Juve did seem to have that kind of control of the ball in mm. the first half. In the second half, towards the latter stages of the game, Atalanta did go for that late push mm-hmm. um, where they had a, a couple of Chesney saves, um, a couple of Cope Miners misses. And over there, you started to see the tide really shift towards Atalanta. Mm-hmm. And if you only watched the last 15, 20 minutes of the game, you'd say Atalanta deserved the win over here, um, especially when there was such goalkeeping heroics through Juve, which is what saved them. Yeah. Um, but I, I think... It's interesting to see the earlier statistic that I mentioned that they've drawn eight out of their last 14 matches this season, which really says something about the, the history between these teams. One thing that we've noticed is these things aren't coincidence, but it's an actual pattern that takes place for a reason. Yeah. And these two teams are teams that like to take more of a pragmatic approach nowadays. These are teams managed by Gasperini, a modern Gasperini, um, and Allegri. So it's no surprise that this game ended up in a nil-nil. And I think we can conclude over here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're on a tight schedule. Um, so I think it would be best not to not to linger too much. Um, I do think that Juve's <laughs> tactics um, have, this game at least, resorted back to solidity defensive solidarity mm-hmm. um, and then play Chiesa through 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you were actually looking more fluid recently. So I wonder if this is kind of a change that he made because he felt like At- Atalanta were a tricky opponent, maybe mm-hmm. superior opponent in their stadium, at the Jewish stadium. But um, I, I, was, I enjoyed watching Juve play nice football, to be honest yeah. with you. I don't know. Yeah, they, no, they they play decent football when, when they actually have... Na- nowadays, it seems like, like you're saying, they do have more fluidity. Before, mm-hmm. it was more like static defend and then let's pass yeah. around and try to figure it out. Now it's with intent. Um, and, and like you said as well, Chiesa up front on the counter and typically they would have Vlaovic over there who was out for this game. Um, typically, that is another avenue because you play the ball through to Vlaovic. He's got good pace. He's got good finishing. He's good in the air. He could link up with his teammates. Um so yeah, I do want to highlight real quick the performance of Martin Dehon, who very often goes under the radar as an absolute workhorse, a very industrious player in the midfield for Atalanta. He's not just a player that passes the ball laterally, but he's a player that wins the ball back a significant amount, has a tremendous work rate. It's great off the ball and on the ball. I just really wanted to highlight him. I don't think we do it enough. Um, shout out to Scalvini as well, who is always so impressive playing the ball out from the back and linking up with his midfield teammates. He does such a great job and... Yeah, the, the best way to describe him for any Prem heads listening or anyone who just started listening to us or following Serie A, he is literally the Italian John Stones. Yeah. And keep in mind, Scalvini is a fucking baby man. Scalvini is literally early 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, Scalvini is only t- 19 years old, he's brother. He's fucking... That, that, that's a joke. He's the, yeah. he's the best young centre-back in the world. Oof. 19 years old... Uh, it's not a bold claim to be at, honest. At, okay the best teen centre back in the world definitely, definitely. 19 years the, old uh, and he offers teenage centre back for sure because <laughs> you look at Scalvini you're not only seeing a youth product but you're seeing uh, an experienced defender right yeah, in the Atalanta team you, you can compare him to maybe Bastoni for yeah, example yeah, yeah, and yeah. Bastoni's 24 which is fucking young and he's 5 years older than him yeah, dog yeah. so yes Salvini's super honestly I'm a freak of nature yeah let me just let you know where these guys stand in the table Juve are in 4th on 14 points whilst Atalanta are in 6th just 1 point behind Ata- behind Juve um, with 13 points Cheers, but I don't recall asking the next game we're going to Fuck be <laughs> The next game we're going to be covering is Salernitana, nil, Inter 4. Inter's last defeat against Salernitana came back in 1999, in April to be precise. Um, Francesco Oddo was the Salernitana manager. No, Whoa. it's not that Oddo. It's, uh, it's a different one. The, the course, timeline doesn't add up. 1999, that doesn't add up. Yeah, you're right. Um, the two goals were scored by David De Michela and Federico Giampaolo, for those of you oh, wow. who, who remember those days. Bro, very classically hitting us up with these sick stats yes. naming people <laughs> we don't know <laughs> listeners, remember these guys do do text us um, this is the first time Salernitana have not won any of their fir- first four home games in Serie A uh oh yes, and prior to this game just a separate stat that I found very interesting about Jovan Cabral mm-hmm. um, he was the only player in Europe's top five leagues to have hit the woodwork in each of his first four games with Salernitana oh my this season. god yes, he was the ninth by the post every game in the first four games I don't believe he hit it against Inter though if, um, if my life ever depends on a crossbar challenge at least I know who to call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Salernitana lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Guillermo Ochoa in goal, Danilo Lich, Gyomber and Lovato at the back, Castanos out on the right with Brotherich out on the left, Legowski and Bohinen were in the middle. Martigani and Cabral were playing behind Bulaye Dia. Abulaye Dia Equa. For Inter, it was Jan Sommer in goal as they deployed their usual 3-5-2. Um, Devry and Pavard were at the back, all looking solid. Augusto was out on the left, Dumfries out on the right with Davy Klassen making his debut over Whoa. here, his first start. Um, Hakan Chalanoglu and Barella were also in the middle with Alexis Sanchez and Marcus Thuram partnering up front. Now, Inter started the game strong. They had chances from Marcus Thuram and Denzel Dumfries early on, but Ochoa kept Salernitana in the game. How many times have we said that before? Mm-hmm. Salernitana, despite being winless in Serie A, put up a notable fight. Um, players like Cabral and Castanos put up a fight testing Inter's defence. Castanos even forced a save from Jan Sommer with a rising shot. Simone Inzaghi brought on Lautaro Martinez in the 55th minute and that was pretty much game over. (laughs) Martinez's impact was immediate. And prior to that, you know, before uh, Martinez actually came on, I was looking at players like Guillaume Byrne saying, wow, he's really playing well here. You know, there was a moment where he recovered the ball brilliantly at a great burst of pace. Guillaume Byrne to recover the ball. Mm. Everyone applauded him in the stadium. I'm like, wow, Salernitana are looking looking solid. But apparently it took one man from Argentina with a particularly large forehead to change, <laughs> to change my He probably just hates Pink Floyd, like, and he's just <laughs> had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's like, fuck these over The dark side of the moon is better than the wall <laughs> he's like you think this is music reggaeton baby <laughs> <laughs> but yes um, Martinez's impact was immediate and he delicately chipped the ball over the keeper and a very tight space after a Marcus Thuram precise cross to score the first goal for Inter and that goal was underrated Mm. The, the amount of time he had to get between the defender and the goalkeeper and onto the ball. And the ball, the, the keeper practically had the ball in his hands. Well, yeah. not practically, almost. Um, and he just tripped it perfectly, he just dinked it over him. Amazing goal. Um, there, there is one way he could have scored that goal, in, in yeah. one manner that he could have executed that. And it was the manner which he used in a split second manner. Yes. And then Salernitana thought they had equalized. A goal in a similar fashion, to be honest. A ball played between the goalkeeper and the defender. And Matush Legowski just charging between the defender and the goalkeeper and finishing quite cleanly. But he was in an offside position and it did not count. And after this, Inter's defence held firm. Martinez sealed Inter's victory with a well-taken volley, followed by a penalty conversion and a close-range goal. His incredible four-goal performance was indeed the highlight of the match and potentially the highlight of the week. They secured a convincing 4-0 win, bouncing back after their loss to Sassuolo. There's a, there's a crazy stat on that, no? About a, a substitute scoring four yes, goals Yes, it's, in it's the first time in modern day football that, um, in, in Serie A, that a mm. substitute has scored four off the bench. And in it's 30 crazy, minutes, man. it's mental. It's crazy. Now that we've reviewed the match, let's discuss a little bit Lautaro Martinez, brother. Mm-hmm. You know, dear, when, similarly to Leao, I don't know if this is a Serie A thing, but you don't really hear people mentioning him. As a top striker, yeah. There was a time where he was being very hyped and, and he was close to moving to Barcelona, but this is around three, four years ago. Mm. You know what I mean? It's he's much season. better. He's much now. better nowadays, yeah. yeah. I, I think, um, I, I, I don't know if, maybe, you, you know how sometimes there are 
certain people who are so obviously in a relationship that no one bothers flirting with them. I think that's. I, I think that, that maybe that who, happens. Who me, bro? <laughs> um, I, I think sometimes that's the case in football. If I'm yeah. if I'm being honest, um, but but yeah, it's 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 the, the same thing. The but Inter just made the Champions League final, man. To be honest, yeah, yeah they're a good place to be right now. Yeah. Um, despite the financial woes, Marotta keeps cooking. Mm. Um, it and must it would, be said it that it would make them a lot of money to sell him, man. Of course, that um, Lautaro has totally taken on the role of a leader, yeah. though at this Inter team, and it can be seen. You know the way the fans respond to him, the way that he he just he has an aura about him nowadays Lautaro you know like the aura of a, of a great player he's so confident mm-hmm. in his trade and I don't think we'll be say, seeing these long dry spells for much longer from Lautaro I think mentally he's he's better nowadays you know it could, it, it could very much be the case I don't want to get too carried away um, naturally insane performance from an insane player um, mm. one of the best strikers in, in Serie A we typically speak about Osimhen and Vlaovic and we typically don't give him the cake because he's not exactly a lone striker bomber but he's typically providing to another striker playing alongside Lukaku or playing alongside someone else um, but he's off to a very strong start he's been in the conversation of Capo Canoniere for the past few years um, but I, I don't want to discount the fact that he can get quiet at times. Um, he scored a hat-trick last season or the season before. I can't remember which one. And he still, January, February, March, had a yeah, bit of a dry it's, spell. It's the fact that his dry spell, his last dry spell was last season halfway through. And since then, he's been firing and he hasn't looked like he's going to stop. Um, he was quite wasteful in the Champions League with that being said. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, um, yeah we, can't, we can't discount the fact that yeah. maybe they'll have a dry spell. I mean, but strikers nonetheless, do suffer from confidence, of course. Um, if they don't score goals, they do get in their head many. Yeah. But yeah, um, we did see Stewart, speaking of strikers, did he? Stewart. He did not have his iconic hairstyle, however. He didn't. Uh, he didn't. And it pissed Fucking me off. Lame. I know, I know. He, I didn't even recognize him at first. I, I hope he didn't. It was like Stewart coming on from the Jamaican League. I hope we didn't fucking make him self-conscious about his hairstyle yeah. uh, well his Wikipedia literally says he's six foot with his hair yeah. you yeah. remove his hair and he's no longer yeah, that that's height that's why he doesn't where's Tinder yeah. <laughs> um, yes uh, Simone Inzaghi's game management was great um, of course starting with Lautaro of the bench resting him and then bringing him on and blowing up his confidence mm. um, Alexis Sanchez played a pretty good game to be honest showing us that he should not be taken for granted as a player he did have a goal contribution every other game for Marseille as well despite his um, his age nowadays um, mm. but yeah in terms solid as ever Salernitana looked like they were in control not in control looked like they were hanging in there for, a, yeah. for the vast majority of the game but um, eventually they, they came undone and I think they stopped trying towards the end because the last Lautaro goal they didn't even bother to pick him up as he moved back away from two central defenders while they were flat-footed well the, they, they had a, an equaliser <laughs> cancelled and then they conceded shortly after that um, it could have very much been a 2-0 victory um, but it's 4-0 because they're probably so demoralised after mm. getting their goal cancelled and then conceding another one straight after now that it's a 2-0 or a 4-0 you yeah. know the didn't make too much of a difference for them over there. Also, bro, before I conclude this game, um, it is worth noting, um, football is a hilarious sport. 
Because you've got people of all shapes and sizes from different parts of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And you can have two people stood right next to each other. You can have, for example, let's you say uh, examples. You can have Luca and mm. Strefetza stood next uh -huh. to each other. Now imagine you're at a bar and you meet mm. these two guys and you're having a chat with them. Jesus, they, what is this, a freak show? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, it's crazy that they play the same sport. Yeah. In basketball, everyone's the same size. You know, rugby, they do have kind of a similar structure. Uh, there, there are body types. You know, football, you can have pretty much any body type. Yeah. And it's crazy to watch these body types go head to head. You had in this game, you had Denzel Dumfries and Brotheridge going head to head on the wing and really battling it out. And you can see Brotheridge really trying to win this 50-50. Mm. But he simply couldn't. And he's just shrugging and pushing and pulling and tugging at, at Dumfries and he just couldn't dispossess him. Dumfries eventually just drove past the bottle out of our own, he scored, whatever. Mm. Um, but it is funny seeing these duels, you know, football. You don't see them in many other sports. It's true, man. Like, even I was thinking rugby, um, sure, they've got wingers and, like, um, whatever they call those people. In quarterbacks? The yeah, quarterbacks and all those. Yeah. Um, like, it, it's typically if you're, like, the tackler in that sense, you're a bit bigger. And if you're a winger, you're a bit more frail, you're a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. um, but not too notable, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you say, like a six foot seven Luka up yeah, against yeah, a five foot three Strefetza. It's it's like um, uh, pro clubs. Yeah. Like you're you're, <laughs> yeah, you're a winger, true. just cross it to <laughs> me, bro. <laughs> Letio Deneza would be pro clubs with all the Literally. crazy hairstyles, the Literally. short men, the very tall men. That would be hilarious. Literally. Okay, yeah. But that concludes it. As for their position in the table, notice how slow I am As speaking. As for their position in the table. To buy myself some time to Jake's put it up. Jake's an AI bot. I just never yes. told you guys. This is my podcast. Exactly. And he is Jake Fennec. Now, um, Inter are nice. first with 18 points, while Salernitana sit in 18th with three points. Um, fun fact about Salernitana. They are actually thinking of um, recalling Simi in Wankwo and for the OGs. Oh. And uh, the loyal listeners of this podcast, you would know that I have a very special place in my heart for Simi in Wankwo. I think he's a very fun footballer to watch. Ultimate underdog, six foot six, lanky Nigerian, should have no business playing at the top level. And he did so and he thrived for, for that one season with Kroto and Apart. The, the, the highest scoring. Well, rather, let me say top three highest scoring uh, African strikers in Serie A in a singular season. I'm not sure if Osimhen overtook him. I'm not sure if he has more than at all in a singular season, but he's in the top three. Yes, yes. I'm not sure which order they're in, but they're definitely um, those three guys. Um, yes, they're thinking of calling him up again because Dia isn't quite himself and he's not in the best condition at the moment. Plus the whole drama with him um, trying to force a move to Wolves last minute. Um, and the fact that Ikumweze, their other striker, is currently injured, which puts them in a bit of a crisis. So I think they'll be they'll be calling up Simi and Wankwo and that'll be fun. Not saying he's going to be good, <laughs> but it'll be fun to watch. No disrespect to Wolverhampton Wanderers, very important club. But anyway, the next game we're going to be covering is, you remember Lecce's great start? Ah, they've had a bit of a collapse. Um, Lecce nil Napoli 4, if there's one team naturally um, that you lose by that margin to, Napoli are strong contenders to take that position. 
Let's share, we're coming off a 1-0 loss against Juve during this uh, tough spell for them where they're facing some of the best teams in the league. Whereas Napoli, we're coming off a 4-1 victory against Odinese. Napoli can't stop scoring right now. Thrilling match against Real Madrid yesterday. Oh um, they, they were unlucky to lose the game over there. Um, great goal by Valverde that went down as a Musso, oh, sorry, um, as a as a merit on goal. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into this game, Lecce had lost four of their last six matches against Napoli and Serie A. No massive surprises over there. Jesus and Rahmani were still injured while Lindstorm got his first start and Ossiman was rested ahead of the Real Madrid match. The host missed Lamak Banda, Castro Dermaku and a suspended Mohamed Kaba. As for the lineups, it was a 4-3-3 formation for both teams, starting with Lecce. It was Falcone and Gold on the back line of Gallo, Baschirotto, Pongracic and Jean Dre. They had Blin, Ramadani and Rafia in the midfield with Strefezza and Almqvist flanking Kristovic. The 4-3-3 for Napoli featured Meret between the sticks on the back line of Di Lorenzo, Ostegard, Nathan and Oliveira, Anguissa, Lobotka and Zielinski in the midfield with Lindstorm and Kvaratskelia flanking Giovanni Simeone. Now in the 16th minute, the scoring was opened by Ostegard, who actually also scored against Real Madrid this mm-hmm. week. Um, Zielinski crossed the ball in with an in-swinger to the far post from a free kick and Ostegar rose highest, heading in. Great in the air. Uh, good finish over there by the Norwegian man. Shout out, Alan. Um, in the 39th minute, Simeone almost scored a wonder goal. He linked up with Zielinski outside the box with a quick one-two before his powerful strike curled just wide in the last second. Falcone was absolutely glued to the spot over there. Would have been a wicked goal and a contender for goal of the week. In the second half, Ossiman made it 2-0 for Napoli. Kvaradona was so fast on this counter-attack that he took the eye out of Ramadani. He beat the Albanian for a pace down the flank before fainting across and killing Ramadani once again before his in-swinging cross was headed in by Victor Ossiman. Ossiman won his bullies nil. In the 88th minute, Napoli youth product Gaetano scored his... don't call Tano that. (laughs) Gay Tony. Gay. My God, I can't, I can't say his name. You just now. called him. You just called him Gay Tony. But you. <laughs> Fuck you, you did this to me. In the 88th minute, Gaetano scored his first goal for Napoli after coming up through the ranks at the club that he loves, and it was a wonderful goal at that, making it 3 0 after linking up with Raspadori. Raspadori found Gaetano down in space. Uh, in space down the middle rather and the hometown boy did well to feint a shot and smash the ball into the corner from the edge of the area leaving Falcone rooted to the spot this in my opinion was a contender for goal of the week yeah it was great I think we, we forgot to mention it um, it was similar to the attempted strike of Giovanni Simeone earlier bam in the 93rd minute Politano put the final nail in the coffin um, of Lecce he sent Falcone the wrong way from the spot making it four the penalty was won by Gaetano who was wrestled to the ground by Ramadani Bit of a mare for Ramadani in this game, huh? He didn't have a great time, huh? it must be said. He he was at the... Ce- I mean, look at him. He's at the le- the centre of this lecture team that was facing a Napoli team that's furious at the moment. Mm. He's going to be, you know, his, his main competitor this game, his direct opponent in two four three three formations was Lobotka, so he didn't really stand a chance at the end. Lobotka was flanked by Anguissa and Zielinski. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, he didn't really stand much of a chance. Ramadani over there. 
Yeah, man, tough gig, tough gig for him. Um, I want to highlight, naturally, Ostegaard's two goals in two games for Napoli. Obviously, scoring um, midweek against Real Madrid is no joke, albeit they, they didn't manage mm-hmm. a victory over there. Um, and a good goal over here to open the scoring. He actually opened the scoring in both of those games. That's wicked. Yeah. Um, but good in the air. Um, he's still uh, qu- quite a young Center back, he's played in the Premier League before, um, and with Kim leaving, with with um, Rahmani injured, um, Napoli had to make do with with a new center back partnership of Ostigard and Nathan. Yeah, twenty two year old and a twenty three year old. They both looked yeah, good, yeah. man. Nathan's looked good. It's true as well. Nathan's recovery is is very good. Um, his his he has good pace getting mm-hmm. back, which allows him or Ostegard to push forward more. Typically, you see Ostegard joining the attack for the aerial duels, and Nathan is really capable of dropping back um, and stopping any kind of counter attacks over there. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out, brother, that this was particularly uncharacteristic of Lecce because. Lecce last season we went on all year about how they never conceded more than two goals up until the yeah. last match day when they conceded three I believe it was but yeah um, this time they have been blown out of the water 4-0 against a Napoli side who's weaker than the Napoli side of last season granted they're not walking the park still mm. um, but in a season where Lecce looked like they could give any of the big teams uh, a hard time you yeah. know so um, uh, this result did surprise me. It was definitely a reality check for Lecce. And I think Napoli scoring early really disrupted the flow because the rest of the half, sure, Lecce were cautious. They didn't concede again. But then in the second half, they had to go for something. And that's when they, they opened themselves up for for Rosemont to score in the 51st minute. But they got two early goals, one early I mean, in the first half, one early in the second. And then at the end, they were just trying to get something and Napoli basically got them in the 88th and the 93rd no? yeah I mean they pretty much um, well they, they they scored before Osimhen even came on which which obviously um, is, is great for Napoli um, I think the, the, the early goal did wonders for Napoli rather than it did negatively to Lecce because we've seen Lecce get back into games and, and do this and that but what Napoli really managed to do over here is start with a bang and once you see Napoli get an early goal over there then their fluidity goes up they, they start linking up and attacking and attacking and attacking and then they brought Osimhen on um, with a bit of a chip on his shoulder over there Gvaradona uh, seems like he's back on it as well um, he had a good game over here he had been a bit quiet for a while seems like he was a bit in his head he is start we, we are starting to see um last year's version of him slowly slowly uh, coming through the last thing I want to highlight for Napoli is essentially Gaetano because he got his first goal it was in very um, impressive fashion he's a player whose profile um, I'm not too aware of and because we haven't seen much of him in the past but he did look very good in this game man he did and he's been waiting for his opportunity and he's most definitely a talented player so it is nice to see him getting his um, well-deserved goal over there Gaetano only 23 years old mm-hmm. um, looks looks solid you know I mean it's difficult to break into a team like Napoli so. but he'll, he'll get his opportunities yeah. under this new management um, who, who is rotating the team quite a bit making a lot, making all of his substitutions essentially in, in every single game bringing on Gaetano bringing on Raspadori bringing on um, Elmas bringing on Giovanni Simeone 
he is really, really introducing all of these yeah. players into into the team. Fuck me! In this game, he started Lindstrom ahead of ahead of Politano. And um, just one last thing, actually, that that I want to mention. I have one as well. So two, two things want to mention <laughs> about Napoli. Osimhen seems to be off penalty duties. Yes. Zielinski, yes. Politano. We saw Zielinski step up against Real Madrid and in the game earlier um, <laughs> to this against Udinese. Um, and uh, Politano stepping up in, in this game in the 93rd minute. I mean, even when he was Capo Canonieri, Osman was never on penalties. I think it's only natural now that you give your you give penalties to your top scorer and no? keeps confidence high, keep his, his numbers high, keep his value high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, of course, I'm sure Osman said, listen, I'm going to stay here. I have many offers. I'm going to reject them, but I need penalty duty. I think I, I want to be on penalty duty. I think at that point, anyone in their right mind would tell him, yes, Victor, no problem. Mm. But after the whole thing that happened, um, <laughs> it's obviously natural that uh, maybe he, would, he won't want to be on them, especially in the Champions League, Bro. when the whole world is watching after mm. what happened, basically. M- man's going to overthink appealing up and like, give me penalty, please. Yeah. Like, it's just <laughs> He's gonna be like, Are they going to make fun of the way I'm asking? <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, um, the point that I wanted to make was that Gvaratskelia hadn't scored or assisted in seven months. Yep. Seven yep. months it had been. And this game, he both scored and assisted. So this game, to me, is it can be viewed as a game of relief for Napoli. Mm. A weight lifted off their shoulders because they were away to a Lecce side who once again never concedes more than two goals. Um, a Lecce side that has been giving the top teams hard time this year and has broken into the top four early on this season so they were no walk in the park you know Absolutely the manager not. was manager of the month they have Kristovic who was on fire Almvist and Strefetsa who look dangerous you know how it is with Lecce yeah. and that defence um, so yeah you have Ozyman scoring after the drama um, granted he didn't celebrate his usual crazy self but um, it was it was probably a Relief for the Napoli fans to see Ozyman scoring, to see Gvaratskelia getting on the score sheet as well, plus providing an assist. And then, you know, a, a youth product scoring a goal as well. It was a game of relief for Napoli. Yeah, and a new centre-back partnership doing exactly. well, keeping yeah, a clean, yeah, clean sheet. sheet. Very clean victory for Napoli, um, who find themselves <laughs> in third place on 14 points whilst Lecce find themselves down in 7th on 11 points down in 7th I said because they were 3rd um, last week literally mm-hmm. next up Roma 2 Frosinone 0 Roma secure a vital 2-0 victory at the Stadio Olimpico after a challenging start to the season they needed a response and they got it in style against a Frosinone side that simply won't bend yeah. over and even yeah. in this game uh, these guys are here to play. They don't give a fuck with what, you, you think this was a, a clean and easy 2-0 victory? No clean maybe, but it wasn't easy at all. Yeah. In their previous match against Genoa, Roma faced an unpredictable setback, conceding four goals to newly promoted sides. So when they faced an informed Frosinone, a positive reaction was crucial because you cannot have two upsets in a row of no. that caliber to two no. newly promoted sides. Roma have faced Frosinone five times in Serie A, winning each time with an aggregate of 14-3. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, Roma, 3-4-2-1. Rui Patricio, Mancini, Cristante, and Dica. Karsdorp, Bove, Paredes, Spinazzola, Dybala, Pellegrini, Lukaku. That's my new thing. I'm not going to say any words. Just players. <laughs> 
Frosinone, 5-4-1. Durati was in goal now. Durati was in goal, Marchizzo was out on the left, Oyono was out on the right, with three centre-backs, you know, Coli, Romagnoli and Monterisi. Sule was out on the right again. Um, Jaime Baez was out on the left. Mazzitelli and Berenchea were in the middle with Cooney up front. I heard an interesting way of pronouncing Berenchea and I'm curious to see if we're butchering it or not. What did the commentator call him again? Berenchea? Something I, I, I can't crazy remember. like that. But anyway, Frosinone threatened early on with Marvin Cooney narrowly missing the target after rounding Rui Patricio, providing an early scare for Roma. However, it was Big Rom who would seal the show for Roma just four minutes after Cooney's near miss. Lukaku found himself one-on-one with the Frosinone defence thanks to a clever assist from Paolo Dybala. Lukaku demonstrated his composure, clinical finishing, everything, his experience. He slotted the ball into the bottom corner to give Roma a 1-0 lead. Buoyed by this breakthrough, Roma pressed to extend their advantage before halftime. Surprisingly, it was Frosinone who looked more threatening in the final third. Despite their impressive play, Frosinone struggled with finishing as Cuni and Mazzatelli missed promising opportunities. Lukaku almost came close to scoring a second as well, but he was denied by the talented Stefano Turati. In the second half, Frosinone, unbeaten in their first five games, refused to back down and sought an equaliser. However, Roma had the chance to double their lead when Eduardo Bove shot was saved by Turati. The game remained on a knife's edge with Roma searching for a decisive second goal. Rasmus Christensen nearly made an immediate impact of the bench with a header, but Roma's Lorenzo Pellegrini would ultimately secure the victory, honestly, seconds after Matthew asked for it because he yeah. had some on fantasy football. He yep. Give me a Pellegrini goal, please. And he got it immediately. Yeah, I have, I have Pellegrini in the other one, uh, uh, so you won't see him in, in, in my team. But I, I won this one in our 6 1, so I didn't need anything. Well, it was a Pellegrini goal to win. Apologies for bringing up the other one. Yes, the, the other one shan't be mentioned again. In the 75th minute, of course, this was Pellegrini, Pellegrini capitalized on a superb delivery from the ball, tapping the ball into the back of the net. This goal sealed the win for. Roma provided a much needed morale boost so what can we talk about over here bro let's start off by praising Paolo Dybala who's been run to the ground in this tight fixture list playing every game um, and he still managed to get two assists and looked quite sharp this game yeah well thankfully he's fit in yeah. this, in this um, period for them tight, tight period because Lukaku looks fucking good yeah. um, and I think a large reason to that is Paolo Dybala Mm-hmm. I think the striking partnership of Dybala Lukaku is one that I really see working under Mourinho and with the team around them. It's the classic. You've got a small creative one that's going to create space um, for Lukaku, for the big guy. He's going to feed him. He's great around the box and inside the box and that carrying the ball forward. Whilst Lukaku is there for aerial prowess, a lot of power back towards goal, laying it off to him. It is a perfect it's a match made in heaven they complement each other really well and they showcased it really well in this game man yeah yeah totally totally agree with you I must um, say as well that um, Frosinone tactically were set up pretty well because they did have their opportunities however of course um, the lack of quality was evident especially in the final third Um, Cooney didn't quite cut it this game Ah, I prefer Kedira Um, but Lack, lack of quality to, to an extent, yes. Um, but it's just, uh, I, I don't want to be harsh on Frozenone because away to Roma, it, it was like uh, two top seven teams played against each other. They gave them a fucking mm. hard time. They did, they did, Roma they did. needed to fucking take it Brian. up a notch to beat Frozenone. They did. 
they had a spectacular game, Roma. This was their best game yet this season. Yeah, they even had 50% ball possession, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11 shots, five on target. Of course, Frosinone didn't have any on target despite having a clear cut opportunity, to be honest with Cooney over there. Yeah. But yes, um, let's hope that this does not demoralize Frosinone. Let's hope that, um, if anything, I think they can hold their heads high that they managed to to give Roma such a such a good game at the Olympico. Oh they'll be they'll be happy with that yeah. performance. Not sure no one's ever happy with a loss, but they'll be happy with the performance. They gave them a game, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, playing against a side that's struggling may seem opportune, but they're gonna try even harder to beat you. Yeah. And it becomes a scrap. So Roma find themselves in thirteenth with eight points, while Frosinone find themselves in ninth with nine points. Yes, the next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 3, Cagliari 0. Fiorentina coming off a 1-1 away draw to who other than Frosinone, whereas Cagliari were coming off a 3-1 home loss against AC Milan. Fiorentina are unbeaten in their last six matches against Cagliari in Serie A. They won three and drew three, conceding just one goal across this period, which came in a 1-1 draw in January 2022. There were were some unfortunate incidences that happened pre-match, uh, to this game, there were there was some violence next to the Frankie Stadium. Um, yes, it was an altercation that occurred near the stadium. Around thirty to forty visiting Cagliari fans unleashed tear gas, wielded bars, and damaged vehicles, um, uh, leading to a very volatile atmosphere uh, between the two sets of fans. Law enforcement um, were in riot gear and intervening to this. Quite a big fucking wow. deal. Um, you know who was leading the charge in this Cagliari protest? Um, I, 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 it's the the guy from the video we posted. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> oh, you know the one. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so the so yes, that that created quite a hostile atmosphere. Don't think that shit doesn't affect the players. Go watch a conference league final and see. Injuries. Fiorentina had Castrovilli, Dodo, Mina, and Pierozzi out, whereas Callier had Yankto, Lapadula, Mancozu, Rog, Capra, Dossi, and Desogus. <laughs> Whoever those last two are. <laughs> it was a 4 2 3 1 formation for Italiano's men with Terracciano on goal and the backline of Parisi, Martinez, Quarta, Milenkovic, and Cayode on the right. Duncan and Arthur in the double pivot with Brecalo, Bonaventura, and Nico Gonzalez playing behind Beltran. 4-4-2 for Cagliari, uh, Radunovic in goal. Christ be with me, give me a second. Hatsidiakos on the right with Vietesca and Dossena as the centre-backs with Augello on the left. Zappa, right midfielder, Nandes, left midfielder, Deola and Makumbu, two centre midfielders with Shomorodov and Petania up front. That was the least sexy way I've ever said a lineup ever. That was horrible. Mine was better when I said the names. It's true, I'll, I'll just start doing that. In the third minute, Gonzalez opened the scoring. I also asked for that. Um, Radunovic failed to gather a cross as he collided with Dosena, the centre back, and the ball fell to Gonzalez, who finished into an empty net. Very easy goal for him but you know what right place right time man's on hot form in the seventh minute Milenkovic won the award for the stupidest back pass in history (laughs) after passing it directly to Nandes without even looking up he wasn't looking up he just passed it softly like he's gonna pass back to his keeper bro 
if I was the manager, I would have killed him. Like yeah. it was so lackadaisy. It, it's frustrating to watch. But anyway, Nandes was clean through on goal, and despite rounding Terracciano, he was unable to score as it was Cayode who cleared the ball off the line. In the 21st minute, Dossena put the ball into the back of his own net, making it 2-0 for Fiorentina. He failed to react to Cayode's low cross in time as the ball struck his leg and hit the back of the net. Um, nightmare for him. He was also the one that collided with Radonovic in the first uh, goal. So very unfortunate game of football for him over there. Um, Fiorentina held on to position for the majority of the rest of the game over here, which is an observation we really showcase to the girls being like, mm-hmm. look, you think they're attacking right now? Because the girls... They want to the And they got it in the 93rd minute. Wasn't enough for them, but... Great to see Nzala get on the score sheet. It was Mandragora who hoofed the ball upfield from very deep into his own half. And Nzala did very well to use his strength and the pace of the ball to round Vietesca before chipping the ball over Radunovic. He looked kind of emotional about his um, first goal for the club. I think Nzola is a player that has had many a high and many a low. I think Fiorentina strikers, for some reason, do tend to struggle. But good to see him get off the mark because maybe opening seven matches without a goal as a player that scored so many um, with a struggling Spezia before was starting to get a little bit concerning, but good to see that over there. Cagliari are struggling, naturally. They are one of the few teams who haven't gotten a win yet. I believe the other ones, there are Cagliari, um, there's Udinese, and there's Salernitana, Salernitana, um, three off the top of my head. But they're struggling, um, and Fiorentina, on the other hand, are flying at the moment. Um, they've had a very, very strong start to this season. They have three wins and uh, two draws in their opening six matches. They do have one loss that came against Inter. Um, very identical start to Juventus over here, who also have three victories, uh, two draws, and a loss, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but their only defeat uh, being against Inter... Is, is very much like Milan. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do think that this Fiorentina team is being underrated this season. And how good, brother, is Nico Gonzalez and what a start he's had. Four goals in six games for him. Nico Gonzalez is fantastic and his bounce back has been remarkable as last season at this time. He was nowhere to be seen and Italiano was criticizing his mental state saying he's mentally unavailable Gonzalez so nice to see that whatever he was going through he's put it behind him and that he's he's displaying his phenomenal skill quite frankly because he's even sought after he's been sought after from the Premier League as well because he's a he's a fucking good player you know and let me tell you what underrated slept on Nico 10 is the way to go for yeah, his shirt. Um, we've seen him sporting a different number. We've seen him sporting Gonzalez at the back of his shirt. Nico 10 is a really, really nice kit. And Fiorentina yeah, nice And he kit. took the 10 from Castrovilli, an active player. That's fucking strange. That's weird. Huh? But he's also the... That, that, that's probably some negotiation. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. stay, but give me, give me, the, give me Castrovilli's yeah. 10. It's an awkward conversation to have with, with Castrovilli. Yeah. And can you please explain to me what's going on with Jorko 11, by the way? Ah, Ikone. He was coming on. And I'm like, who on earth is Jorko? Bro, who, who is bro? But yeah. ah, Ikone has Jorko on, on his, his shirt. On his back. Yeah. I'm sure it's, you know, part of his name. His name is Jonathan Ikone. 
Oh my god, it's like Jama when like Jacob, our soap company when, oh when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, very Jama or soap or, company. Or like Dorwell next door. Or, yeah, our, our neighbor's <laughs> place is Dorwell because it's Doreen and William. Like. Yes. So yeah. Um, and if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> hello, and that's your dog in the background. <laughs> One of their 19 dogs in the past 26 years of, of, of my life. Got, uh, snowy, Snoopy, all of them. I remember them all. Um, um, it must be said that Cagliari are super static. And even their players who are meant to be dynamic don't quite show that. Shomorodov was looking a bit leggy. Zappa isn't quite that burst of pace that he can hit on the counter so the thing is if Lovumbo isn't playing and Lovumbo did pick up an injury by the way that's why he did not feature um, you can attack this Cagliari side and you don't have to worry too much about them getting in behind you if Lovumbo is not there if Lovumbo is there be very very scared because they will counter you hard but that's what you lack when you have Petania up front when you have Pavoletti coming off the bench when you have a 4-4-2 formation with Zappa and Nandes out wide hard workers but not particularly Good at bursting, you know what I mean? No, I, I think long the stretches aren't there. Um, the way you beat it. an offensive team. So the the way you draw to an offensive team is sitting back, playing the low block. That's how you beat Fiorentina. Sorry, that's how you draw to Fiorentina. It's how you draw against Milan. You pile 11 men behind the ball, um, very, very, very deep into your own half and you make their life a living hell. The way you beat them is by playing defensively, but countering with signif- with a significant burst of pace. Yeah, well, particularly after playing out of the press. Exactly. Yeah. Ball to midfielder, midfielder first time ball over the top to a winger type of type of thing. Um, but what they don't have here is the resources to do something like that. You have someone like Nandes that could give Petania a good ball, Shumorodov a good ball. But when you're up against the Pacey Martinez, Quarta and Melenkovic and Parisi and Kayode and, and the rest of these guys, then... It's a mismatch. At the moment, Cagliari are the worst team in the league. Um, I don't think they're a particularly creative team. They're playing a 4-4-2. Um, just showing Ranieri's Prem colours a little bit um, mm-hmm. over there. Very, very Premier League. Um, Brexit football, man. Bre- Brexit football. Um, two big boys up front. You know what I mean? It's, it's They leave a lot to be... Desired. They have a lot of key pieces out. I really, really hope we see Cagliari pick things up because the way things are going, it's not looking too good for them. Um, where they're standing in the tables. So Fiorentina are in fifth on 14 points, while Cagliari dead last on two points. Bro said where they're standing in the tables. Bro, I just spit bars. Sassuolo nil Monza won. This was expected to be a favourable matchup for Sassuolo, particularly after uh, this membering Inter. Mm. But the final score had a surprise in Zdor as uh, Monza actually got an away victory thanks to a goal by none other than Lorenzo Colombo. His first goal for Monza and his third goal in a row in Serie A, is it? Last season he was at Lecce and he did score a few. The season before he was at Spal, never mind. His mm. second season in, yeah. in a row in Serie A. He scored that mental one last season against Napoli. Oh my God, man. after missing a Fucking penalty. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. 
As for the lineups, Sassuolo had their 4-2-3-1 formation with Andrea Consigli in goal, Tolian on the right, Vinia on the left, um, Erlich and Ruan at the back, with Boloca and Henrique in the holding midfield positions, with Berardi out on the right wing, Lauriente out on the left wing, Thordsvet in the pocket, and Pinamonti up front. For Monza, it was a 3-4-3 formation with Di Gregorio in goal, Carboni, Mari, and Caldirola at the back. The I was going to say the three C's, but there are only two. Georgios Kyriakopoulos is out on the left. Patrick Churia out on the right. Gagliardini and Pessina forming a midfield duo. While Danny Mota was out on the left wing. Colpani was out on the right wing. Lorenzo Colombo was up front as the lone striker. As the match began, Sassuolo, fresh from their impressive victories over Juve and Inter, looked poised to continue their winning streak. Early in the game, Armand Lauriente had a golden opportunity to put Sassuolo ahead, but his effort was saved following a brilliant run. This would prove to be a theme this game, um, as Lauriente did miss a couple of sitters, um, not only him to be honest. Domenico Berardi, the legend, played a crucial role, of course he did. He forced a smart double save from Michele Di Gregorio early on in the first half. Perhaps not early on, but in the first half. Monza's Patrick Churia had a couple of opportunities to break the deadlock, but he failed to convert, leading to a goalless first half. After the break, the momentum shifted as Sassuolo Loni, Giorgio Skiriakopoulos, fired over from a promising position. Um, now it makes sense, bro, why um, Anthony Locasio, or excuse the pronunciation of his name, listens to us. He's Greek. There we go. Yeah, bro is Greek, Australian and Italian. Yeah, so he'll, he, fi- he'll find a few players to follow, yeah. I think. Um, Shout out to him, by the way. What a guy. He what must guy. die, bro. He's, he's going to die. when He must die, bro. He must <laughs> die. Death to him. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no, what I was meant to say <laughs> is he must have died at your pronunciation of that... Um, a Greek right back's name. Ah, Hatsi, Hatsi Diakos, Hatsi Diakos, Bless I think. You. <laughs> Thank you. Just <laughs> tight. Yeah. So, Lorenzo Colombo, wearing the Monza colors on loan from Milan, tested Sassuolo's Andrea Consigli with a well placed shot, shot. However, Sassuolo faced a setback when their own number nine, Andrea Pinamonte, had to leave the field due to injury. Monza were growing into the game at this point and found the breakthrough they were looking for. Lorenzo Colombo took matters into his own hands when he won a 50 50 on a long ball. Um, out wide, he drove, he cut inside, and he calmly slotted the ball into the net, opening his scoring account. For the season I didn't know he had that in his locker I uh, running down the wing yeah. cutting inside showing good Colombo's an exciting player he had a goal every 30 minutes for Milan's Primavera now I know Primavera stats don't always mean you're going to be a great player I mean Patrick Cutrone was the the leading goal scorer for um, for Milan's Primavera for quite a while yeah there's a 15 year old right now who's scoring like 7 goals Come a game bro Come Come on, wanted by City wanted by they, the they, can, they can all fuck off <laughs> they can all fuck off <laughs> we haven't this we haven't had a youth system striker come through the ranks and be the best in Italy in way too long the last was fucking what David Calabria (laughs) he's not a striker he's the best in Italy but like (laughs) a a Pato kind of thing and who didn't come up through the ranks from a young 17 years old 18 years old like that Camarda you're the one bro please do it we'll see we'll see it's always complicated with you this guy's 15 and scoring with the Primavera it's crazy Mm -hmm. I mean in two years we'll be seeing him with the first team for sure just a little bit Yes, Monza had opportunities to extend their lead, but um, struggled to capitalize. Substitute Samuele Birindelli missed a chance to double the advantage, while Lauriente also missed another golden opportunity to equalize. This time, Colombo himself was denied a brace by the offside flag late into the game. So this basically was 
it's a swallow demonstrating how waste, how truly wasteful they can be. Um, and Monza demonstrating how if you hang in there and things don't go quite well for your opponent, they will get frustrated. You will be able to get an opportunity. You will get your opportunity eventually. Yeah. And you can win games if you are tight enough. Yeah, and, and, and they, they showed um, cl- classic Monza. They're, they're so good at attacking down those flanks. Um, naturally, mm-hmm. when you play a 3-4-3 formation, you've got so many wide players. Churi and Kolpani on one side, Kiriakopoulos and Dani Mota on the other. We saw a lot of attacks coming down the left-hand side over here mm-hmm. through Dani Mota, very, very involved in the yeah. game. Maybe not too clean up front, um, but does a lot of damage alongside Kiriakopoulos uh, out on that left-hand side. What a shame it is to see Pinamonte come off injured, eh? He's had such know, a good right? spell of form. Yeah. Fuck that, man. That's I'm annoying. not quite sure about his condition or how bad the situation is, the injury, but um, let's hope that he has a speedy recovery because he has started the season quite well. Yeah. This game was also a display of how good Consigli and Di Gregorio can be, particularly Di Gregorio. Of course, Consigli, we do know that he's, he's past his prime, but Di Gregorio had a phenomenal game and he often does. Um, uh, for Monza and I'm sure that he has a bright future since Vicario has left the league I think that the underrated goalkeepers that should be grabbed at the moment are Di Gregorio and possibly Montepo from the ones who are ready and Falcone Falcone yes as well those three I would say those three and then you have slightly younger like Turati Turati is looking very good, yes. For a big step, yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Falcone and Di Gregori, actually, in particular, bro, are super. Mm-hmm. I would put Montepo slightly. Even Montepo. Montepo last year had some of the most saves in Serie A, which is probably because he plays for Verona and because he's out of shots. But hey, man, you need someone to stop them. Exactly, yes. So Sassuolo are 11th with nine points, while Monza are 12th with nine points also. The next game we're going to be covering was the nil-nil draw between Torino and Verona. Torino were coming off a 2-0 loss um, away to Lazio, as Verona were coming off a 1-0 home loss to Atalanta. Torino have lost just one of their last 14 matches against Hellas, Verona and Serie A, so they really do have their number um, discounting this game, naturally. Torino's injuries were Buongiorno, Gigi, uh, well, rather, Bonjourna and Gigi, whereas Verona's injuries were Braf, Cabal, Doig, Hrustic, and Imbula. When it comes to the starting lineups, it was a 3 4 2 1 formation for Torino with Vanya and Gold on the back line of Ricardo Rodriguez, Shores, and Sazonov. Uh, Lazar out on the left, Soppi out on the right with Ricci and Illic in the midfield, with Radonic on the left, Sek on the right, and Duvan Zapata up front. Also a 3 4 2 1 formation. For Verona, with Montepo on goal and the backline of Magnani, Davidovic and Amione, Terracciano on the right, Lazovic on the left, Duda and Folorunsho on the middle, getting Gonj and Suslov playing behind Cruz. <laughs> we should go on one. <laughs> Our mother is, is, is on one right now. Cruz. Cruz. That was great, yes. A youngster brought in from Argentina making his first appearance for Verona and his first appearance in Serie A. Torino were actually the team that looked more positive um, in the first half, getting close through Sec and Lazaro, but Montepo was on top of it. You just complimented him, and rightly so. He had a, a great match over here. Verona threatened in the 68th minute as a Falcone cross 
hit the crossbar. However, it was meant to go to Juric. Juric hit a bicycle kick from close distance in the 75th minute, but it went straight into Vanya. Um, not much else happened in this game. It was a tight and cagey affair. Um, however, Torino are showcasing that they do struggle to secure wins despite their positive performances. Do you, do you agree with that? I totally agree with you. And it's also worth noting that Verona can really shut up shop well. These were two teams who can shut up shop very well. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, defensive battles and aggressive play over here. Um, you saw both teams trying to utilize their physicality and their strength. They are two very physical um, and strong teams. And naturally, when two very physical teams collide, well, it gets physical. An interesting stat from this game is that both strikers, which are Cruz and Duvan Zapata, didn't get a single shot away so that pretty much tells you how this game went down brother yep the big men up front were marked tightly and the supply was cut quite frankly yeah yep i think both teams will take a point and run over here after both not having the best performances however they did fight to the nail in order to secure the point looking forward to the turin derby this weekend where torino will take on juventus Torino find themselves in 10th place on 9 points, whilst Verona find themselves in 15th place on 8 points. I'm also going to be doing the next game that we are going to be covering, which is Udinese 2, Genoa 2. Udinese were coming off a 4-1 loss against Napoli, whereas Genoa were coming off a 4-1 victory over Roma. Uh, Udinese are unbeaten in their last 13 matches against Genoa in Serie A, winning 6 and drawing 7. However, they have now drawn each of their last 4 matches. The Grifone were coming off a shock 4-1 win over Roma on Thursday evening, but Badej, Strutman and Sabelli did not make the trip due to injury, whilst Aaron Martin returned from suspension. Udinese were still without a victory, and the absentee list included Ezibwe, Ebosse, Delefeu, Brenner, Cabasele, and Semedo, and a couple of other Pokemons too. It was a 3-5-2 formation for Udinese, Silvestri in goal, Christensen, Bijol and Perez at the back, with Camara on the left, Abosele on the right, and the midfield three of Sandilovic, Wallace and Pereira, success and look up. Uh, formed the front two. It was a 3-5-2 formation also for the visitors with Martinez in goal on the back line of Dragosin, Barney and Vasquez. The winter on the right, Haps on the left and the midfield three of Torsby, Frendrup and Malinowski. Goodmanson and Retegui started alongside each other up front. In the 14th minute, Goodmanson opened the scoring and he smashed the ball to the top corner from the edge of the area. Frendrup provided the pass after collecting the ball from a misplaced Silvestri pass. In the 23rd, Luca made it 1-1. The Italian giant smashed a half volley into the back of the net from point-blank range after Haps failed to deal with a cross. In the 28th minute, Goodmanson slotted into the bottom corner, but Haps was offside throughout the build-up, leaving the score at 1-1. Just before the uh, half-time whistle in the 41st minute, Goodmanson made it 2-1 for the away side. Um, Retegui got the assist. It was a 2v3 situation. Retegui played the ball to Goodmanson, who cut inside past the defender and slotted the ball into the near corner after a deflection of, of Christensen's stroke of luck, um, but good combination from the two strikers. In the 91st minute, and then after a second half of Genoa hanging on for this victory, their substitute, Maturo, 
put the ball into the back of his own net. Um, a corner was whipped in by Samardzic and Silvestri failed to claim the ball. Um, there was an open net and the young Uruguayan Mutaro headed the ball into his own net minutes after coming on. Very unfortunate for the youngster who obviously uh, got an opportunity over here and it just didn't go his way. It happens and, and we hope he bounces back. Um, good game of football over here. 2-2 was the final result. Obviously, Goodmanson getting both goals there for Genoa. He now has three goals this season. 18 successful dribbles. Nobody has more. He's the first player from Iceland to score two goals in a single Serie A match. Um, and he seems to be getting well with his teammates and especially um, his manager, Alberto Gilardino, who he said he looks up to a lot and, and they share a lot of... Well, Gilardino shares a lot of advice to Goodmanson, who listens like a good student. Um, he also, Goodmanson, comes from four generations of footballers, both from his mother's side and his father's side, which is cool to see that he's managed to um, keep that up. Udinese still haven't gotten a victory this season, and they struggled to get a point. Um, they, they got a point through a last-minute Genoa own goal. Needless to say, Udinese are struggling. What do you make of them so far? I think they're the type of team that has to grow into the season. Um, things aren't really going their way at the moment. Um, they will have growing pains. Luka is a young striker. He just scored his first goal right now. Um, this game, Pereira has only just come in after attempting to leave. Um, so Samards, which was pretty much their only creative outlet up until that point. But now they have a few members who can actually make a difference together. And I think that they can they can improve. Yep, I think time will be their best friend in the season, correctly said. Um, naturally, we do need to move on from this game, guys, because we spent a lot of time actually discussing the previous match day. Um, Udinese do find themselves in 17th place, just out of the relegation zone, on four points, whilst Genoa find themselves in 14th on eight points. The next game, the final game, that we're actually not going to be discussing because we're going to hand over to our friend Luca from Bologna. And Bologna beat Empoli 3-0 and Rossellini scored a fantastic hat-trick over here. And before we hand over to um, Luca, brother, I just want to ask you, does Orsolini deserve a spot in the national team? Absolutely. And, and, and I don't think it's a debate. Yeah. There are, um, they've got their left-hand side sorted with, with Chiesa. Um, and the right hand side is competition between Berardi and Orsolini. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to start, but he should totally be there. Bologna lined up with their usual 4 2 3 1 formation with Skorupski in goal, Carozza as the right back, Christiansen as the left back, Bokema and Calafiori at the back. More on Freuler were in the middle with Orsolini, Ferguson, and Doyon Zergzi playing up front. For Empoli, it was their 4 3 1 2 formation with Berisha in goal, Kakacce, Luperto, and Valukovic. Along with Ebuehi at the back, Male, Rannocchia and Marin were in the middle with Baldanzi as the Trequartista, Cambiaghi and Caputo were up front. Now over to Luca, guys. Thank you for listening because we're not going to see you again. We love you and see you next week. Hey guys, what's up? As you imagine, I'm going to send you a quick voice note about uh, Bologna Football Club because I think we need to highlight what we're doing in this season. We started uh, with a loss against AC Milan that... Uh, is probably one of the favorite to win the Serie A this year. Only lost one game against Inter, and uh, that's the only game we lost throughout all these first uh, games. And uh, the really important thing is that every game we played, we were 
not dominating, but the majority, yes, but we had the control of the games. We already played against Milan, we already played against Naples and Juventus, and we are eighth in the tables. Uh, the last four games, we didn't even concede a goal. And um, I think if you watch how Bologna is playing, it's really, really a very... Yes, I was saying we are a very good team and we need to consider that, unfortunately, the Lega Serie A stole us four points. And I'm not talking about random things, I'm talking about clear facts because against Juventus, everybody said that uh, when Ndoye went down, that was a clear penalty. We were 1-0 up. Uh, against Juve would have gone 2-0 uh, probably and with the red card for them and so the game would have been ours and then against the Monza last game uh, they they stole another goal from um, from Ferguson with an assist of uh, Zirkze that was not comprehensible what they did. I, I have no idea why they disallowed the goals and there were two goals done. We would have been in fourth place with Naples by now. Tiago Motta is expressing the real football in every game we played. We, we showed good football, never holding back, never only defensive. And uh, I really think Bologna is playing great football. And I know you guys uh, always take in consideration every small team. Unfortunately, big TV shows never talk about Bologna. And so here is to share with you that I know that taking consideration every Every club in the Serie A. So have a good one, guys.